Exodus 25. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onk stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all the furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Have them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold moulding around it. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet, with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of the ark and they are not to be removed. Then put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law which I will give you. Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide, and make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law that I will give them. There, above the cover, in between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites." Make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long, one cubit wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold and make a gold moulding around it. Also make around it a rim, of ha- a, rim a hand breadth wide, and a gold, put a gold moulding on the rim. Make four gold rings for the table and fasten them to the four corners where the four legs are. The rings are to be close to the rim to hold the poles used in carrying the table. Make the poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold and carry the table with them and make its plates and dishes of pure gold as well as its pitchers and bowls for pouring out of offerings. Put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times. Make a lampstand of pure gold, hammer out its base and shaft and make its flower-like cups, buds and blossoms of one piece with them. Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on one branch, three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand there to be four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud shall be under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand, a second bud under the second pair and a third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and branches shall all be of one piece with the lampstand, hammered out of pure gold. Then make it seven lamps and set them up so that they light the space in front of it. Its wick trimmers and trays are to be of pure gold. 
A talent of pure gold is to be used for the lampstand and all of these accessories. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you so much uh, that you make yourself known to us. And uh, Lord, we thank you that you've made yourself known to us uh, in the days of Moses and uh, in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, through your word to us now. And so, Father, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us, help us to understand what you uh, want us to know about you. Uh, draw near to us, we pray, uh, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, you can tell a lot about a person, I reckon, by the uh, house that they live in. Uh, I was talking to Chris last week. He visits lots of houses uh, to repair people's things. And I said, I said Chris... What does my house compare, you know, how does it compare to the houses of the people that you visit? Uh, and he thought about it for a moment and he said, it's very sparse. <laughs> you can probably tell that there's never any kids there. Uh, 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 you know, my house probably says about me that I'm uh, neat uh, or something like that or, or boring, one or the other. Uh, I, I wonder what your house says about you. When people walk into your house, what is it that they think? What is it that they uh, discover about you? Or when you walk into the houses of other people, what is it that you uh, find out about them? This passage this morning is really telling us something about God in the same way. Uh, it's telling us, at first we might think, what is this all about? What are all these descriptions uh, of this tent? What's going on? But what is happening here is God is giving us a picture of the kind of house that he told his people to build uh, to represent his presence among them. The tabernacle, uh, or if you like, is, is a giant tent. Uh, and it's filled with all kinds of pieces of furniture. And those pieces of furniture and the tent itself tell us something about who God is and what he's like and what our relationship with him uh, can be like. The details of the tabernacle uh, start there in chapter 25 that Jamie read for us. They go through chapter 26 and 27. Uh, then skip over a couple of chapters and then to chapter 30. And then again in chapters 35 to 40, it all comes out again when the people actually try and build the tabernacle. They actually go through the, the process and there's a whole lot of detail repeated there. Uh, we're not going to cover all of that this morning. We'll come back to the building of the tabernacle uh, in a few weeks. Uh, but even this morning, we're not going to cover all the detail in these chapters uh, and we probably shouldn't think that all the details here, sort of every curve of metal and every piece of wood and every kind of pattern of the design, we shouldn't uh, think that everything has a specific meaning necessarily. Rather, it's a bit like in the castle. It's kind of, it's the vibe, you know? It's, it's, it's Marbo, it's the vibe. It's kind of the vibe of the whole thing when you put all the pieces of furniture together that they, that they help us to understand who God is. So we'll work through some of the bits of the temple furniture uh, one by one and then um, explain some of them and then try and make sense uh, of what it means. So the overall purpose of this tabernacle, this tent, is explained in chapter 25, verse 8. Uh, at the beginning of the chapter, God says to the people, look, bring me a whole lot of uh, the riches, the treasures that you have. We'll collect them together and we'll use that to build this tent, this tabernacle. The purpose, God says in verse 8, then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. 
So the purpose of this large tent was to be a place where God could live among the people, God could dwell among the people. Because it was a tent for God, the God of heaven and earth, it was a luxurious tent. It was valuable. It was uh, made from expensive fabrics uh, and with expensive metals. It was covered in gold and bronze and silver. Uh, What was there in this house of God? Well, first of all, uh, it helps to recognize that the temple was, or the tabernacle was divided into three sections. There should be a picture uh, up there, Luke. Uh, so that's the courtyard and the, the temple or the tabernacle uh, up there, um, the brown-looking bit. Um, uh, so the outer section was this courtyard. It, it had some curtains around it, and then the, the inner tent was there. And then that tent itself was divided into two other sections. The next one, Luke. Uh, so there you can kind of see the veil in the middle. Uh, that's inside the tent, a bit of a cutaway. And uh, the Holy of Holies at the back, where the ark is. And um, the first half there uh, is called the Most Holy Place. So in uh, the Most Holy Place, we'll start with the furniture in that part. Uh, so there was only one thing in that. There was the Ark of the Covenant. And that was a rectangular box. It was about a metre long and 70 centimetres wide and high. It was overlaid in gold. Uh, And on it were two cherubim, two kind of uh, angelic figures. And inside it were the tablets of the Ten Commandments. Uh, We know what the significance of the ark is because Moses tells us in verse 22, he says, There above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. So the ark and the most holy place was where Moses and later Aaron or the high priest would go to meet with God on behalf of the people. Uh, Through the rest of the Bible, uh, we come across cherubim uh, in in connection with God's throne. They're the creatures that kind of attend God's throne and sometimes it seems sort of carry the throne of God from place to place. And the ark then is kind of pictured, if you like, as the kind of the footstool of the throne. It's kind of where God's feet touch the earth. So the tabernacle and the ark are kind of this connecting point between God in heaven and his people on earth. But notice that the foundation of this meeting place uh, was the tabernacle, sorry, was um, the, the, the tablets of God's covenant with the people. Um, so uh, in, the, in, the, in the ark there was uh, the Ten Commandments. And last week, uh, for those who are here, we saw that in Exodus 24, God established this new relationship with his people. The foundation of that new relationship was his oath to them that he would be with them and their oath to him that they uh, would be committed to God. So at the, at the base of uh, uh, this throne, at the base of this footstool, inside that uh, is the kind of the summary of this relationship between God and the people, this oath bound relationship between God and the people. The ark, in other words, symbolized uh, that this connection between God, that this meeting between God and his people, the foundation of that was the promise that God had made to them and that they had made to him back in Exodus 20 and 24. Now, because the people kept breaking that uh, agreement with God, the cover of the ark, the bit over the Ten Commandments, Uh, was also the place where atonement would be made. So it's often called the atonement cover. Once a year, the high priest would go into the most holy place and he would sprinkle blood on the atonement cover. Symbolically, if you like, 
beginning that relationship again. Every year, because the people kept breaking the relationship, every year the high priest would need to go in and symbolically begin, renew that relationship. Uh, As we saw last week, it's only now that Jesus has come that the relationship between God and us is founded on better sacrifices and better promises so that we don't need to renew that relationship every year. That Jesus has made a sacrifice once and for all uh, and our relationship with God is established uh, with God through him. So that's the most holy place. After the most holy place, we move out to the holy place. Uh, That's the first section of the tabernacle. And in there are two pieces of furniture, a table and a lampstand. So there should be a table up there. Um, Yep, so the table of the showbread. Uh, uh, It had various dishes and plates on it, uh, which were used for making sacrifices. But the key thing was what was called the bread of the presence. So um, verse 30, put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times. Uh, We know from later in the Bible that Aaron and the other priests could eat that bread uh, once a week uh, and then they would have to replenish it. Now, it might seem strange to have a table with food on it in the tabernacle, but if you cast your mind back to Exodus 24, you might remember that the central event, or, you know, you could almost pass over it, but, but one of the key events in Exodus 24 was after God had established this relationship with the people, the leaders of the, of the nation sat down and ate with God and saw God. And this table, if you like, in the, in the holy place was kind of a perpetual reminder of that reality. Uh, The tabernacle was kind of designed to be a mini Mount Sinai. It was supposed to be a a kind of a reminder of that event that had happened in Exodus chapter 24. Uh, God had come and he'd met with the people, he'd established this new relationship based on the Ten Commandments. The, The leaders of the nation had seen God and ate with God in his presence and that table was a reminder of that a reminder of this possibility of seeing God, beholding God, and uh, sitting down to eat a meal with God. As well as the table, there was the lampstand. There's a picky of that too. Uh, The lampstand was also overlaid with gold. Um, It may or may not have looked actually like that. Um, That's what it looked like in later periods of of history. But it had at least a central stem and the six branches Uh, and with these flower-like cups and buds and blossoms. Uh, In other words, it was was a lamp that was designed to look like a tree. Uh, You know, when you read that description, it talks in verse 34, on the lampstand there were to be four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. So it was supposed to, this lamp was supposed to look like a tree, but it wasn't just a tree, it was a tree that gave light, obviously, it's also a lamp. Uh, And later at the end of chapter 27, uh, God gives instructions about how those lamps were to be kept burning from evening until morning. So if you flick over to chapter 27, verse 21, uh, it says there, chapter 27, verse 21, in the tent of meeting outside the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant law, Aaron and his sons are to keep the lamps burning before the Lord from evening till morning. This is to be a lasting ordinance among the Israelites the generations to come. 
Uh, again, when God met with the people in Exodus 24 and chapter 20, it looked like there was this burning fire on the mountain. That's kind of what the glory of God looked like. And the lampstand seems to maybe be capturing that idea, this idea of the perpetual presence of God's light among his people. Uh, the third item in the most holy place is not actually mentioned until much later in chapter 30. Uh, if you turn over to chapter 30, the beginning of chapter 30, there's uh, an incense altar which is mentioned there. God says to the people or to Moses, make an altar of acacia wood for burning incense. It is to be square, a cubit long, a cubit wide and two cubits high. It's horns of one piece with it. Overlay the top and all the sides and the horns of pure gold and make a gold moulding around it. Uh, then in uh, verse 6 of that chapter, it kind of helps us to know where it is and sort of what the purpose is. So put the altar in front of the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant Law before the atonement cover that's over the tablets of the Covenant Law where I will meet with you. Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight. So incense will burn regularly before the Lord for the generations to come. So the incense altar was the last piece of furniture, if you like, before the curtain into the most holy place. And uh, Aaron had to keep the incense burning. Uh, he had to do that every time that he tended the, uh, the lampstand. Uh, and again, you might remember in Exodus 20 and 24 that one of the key features of God coming to meet with the people was this dense thick cloud which kind of hovered over the mountain so again this altar of incense if you like is looking back to that time that God met with the people there uh, and uh, again like there the cloud seemed to protect the people from the presence of God and in the same way it seems that the altar of incense the idea was uh, that there was this cloud uh, to make it safe for Aaron to enter the holy place uh, and the most holy place so that's all the furniture in the, uh, in the most holy place and the holy place in the tent itself. Uh, then after that, in chapter 26, God describes uh, the construction of the tent itself. In, um, that's in chapter 26. So uh, back, there, I think there's another picture with the tabernacle in the courtyard. Yep, that one again. Um, uh, so God describes in chapter 26 the different kinds of curtains that need to be made. You can see in that picky that there's different colours in the cutaway of the tent. Uh, there's different kinds of fabric. Uh, there's also uh, information about the tent poles and the frame. Uh, the inner tent of the tabernacle itself, um, as he said, housed the holy place and the most holy place. And to give you an idea of how big that was, it's, it's uncanny, but it's actually the, the, the tabernacle tent was almost the same dimensions as this centre part of the church between the glass doors and and here so it's about as wide as that and about as long as that and about as high as the as the lower level of the ceiling i don't know who designed the building but it's like tabernacle dimensions um uh and then and then the courtyard is about as big as this block i think so if you take away the cutaway on that side so that kind of gives you a bit of a sense of how big um this tent and this courtyard was uh the courtyard was mostly empty, except for a few pieces of furniture. Um, the first is the altar. That's mentioned in chapter 27, verse 1 to 8. Uh, God says to Moses, build an altar of acacia wood, three cubits high. It's to be square, five cubits long and five cubits wide. 
make a horn at each of the four corners so that the horns and the altar are of one piece and overlay the altar with bronze. Now, you might notice uh, that all the furniture in the holy place and in the tent was made of gold. And as you get further away, if you like, from the presence of God, it's sort of the, the material turns from gold to bronze. So the things out in the courtyard are of lesser value. The further away uh, from God they move. Uh, the bronze altar was for making regular sacrifices. Uh, and then the second piece of furniture in the courtyard is mentioned in chapter 30, verse 17. God says to Moses there, make a bronze basin with its bronze stand for washing. Place it between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and feet with water from it. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die. So on the way into the tent, on the way to the tent, what you would see is the bronze altar uh, for making sacrifices and then the bronze basin filled with water for cleansing. And together those uh, two items of furniture are a reminder that although God has come to live with his people, live among his people, approaching God is still not safe. Uh, The sin and the rebellion of the people is still a barrier between them and God. And in order for the people to get to God, to reach God, sin has to be dealt with. It has to be atoned for and it has to be washed away. Thanks, so you can take those those down. So that's the furniture uh, and that's uh, that's kind of what it looked like and where it was. But what do we learn from all that? Let me suggest uh, three things, I think, that the tabernacle teaches us uh, about God uh, and about our life with God. First of all, the tabernacle is a picture, obviously, of God living among his people. It's a large tent. Uh, God isn't in the tent, uh, as though God is sort of contained in uh, objects like that. But it symbolizes his real presence among the people. Uh, And it became the focal point for his presence and his Uh, participation with and among the people. He would meet with them there. He would meet with Moses there. When I was growing up uh, uh, in New South Wales, we would uh, go camping as a family. We'd leave Sydney and we'd drive six or seven hours up to Port Macquarie or Cross Harbour or something like that. Uh, And we'd put up a big tent. It was 24 by 14 feet, I think. I don't know. It's probably a bit smaller than the tabernacle, but it's kind of, you know, tabernacle-esque dimensions. Uh, and, you know, and we'd have a great time uh, camping and, uh, and spending time together. But imagine uh, living in your tent, staying in your tent, and opening the flaps in the morning and seeing just across the way from you another tent, God's tent. Imagine seeing that and thinking to yourself, God is here among us. The, uh, the pillar of cloud above that tent. And thinking to yourself, here is God. God is with us. God is meeting with us. God is traveling with us. In Exodus 33, we're told actually that that's what the people did. When they would open their tents and and see God's presence among the people, they'd they'd spend their time worshipping while God met with Moses. But if opening the tent flap and seeing that God is among us is remarkable... It's even more remarkable to think that the New Testament tells us that we're all 
tents and tabernacles of God if we belong to Jesus. We're all tents in whom God lives. God has come to us through Jesus in his Holy Spirit to make his home in us. We don't need a big tent. We don't need a big tent to symbolize the presence of God because if we belong to Jesus, God is with us all the time. He's with you at home. He's with you in the car. He's with you at work. He's with you at school. He's with you when you go on holidays. He's with you when you're all alone. Wherever you go, God goes with you. Not in a tent, but in you through the Holy Spirit. And the tabernacle was a picture of that and a pointer to that greater reality. But second, this tabernacle is a kind of echo of Eden, uh, of the original creation. There's quite a number of connection points here in Exodus and uh, between that and Genesis 1 and 2. So for instance, in the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2, there's seven times that God speaks, you know, and God said, let there be light, or whatever it is. And here too, in this account of the creation of the tabernacle, there are seven times that God speaks. In Genesis, when God finishes creating the world, he rests as a Sabbath day. And here again, at the end of the creation of the tabernacle, there's this Sabbath, there's this regulations and rules about rest. After Adam and Eve fell into sin in Genesis, the way was barred by cherubim, by these angelic figures who would guard the way to the tree of life. Uh, And on the curtain separating the most holy place from the holy place, there those cherubim are woven into the fabric. And finally, the lampstand in the shape of a tree seems to be reminiscent of the tree of life itself, which stood in the Garden of Eden. Whenever temple imagery arrives or turns up in other parts of the Bible, like in Exodus or Revelation, the tree of life is always there in the, in the kind of the, the, the ambit of, uh, of the temple descriptions. The point is that the description of the tabernacle is carefully constructed to remind us of the Garden of Eden. Why is that? It's because God wants us to realize that he's making a way for us to return to that reality. God is making a way for us to return to Eden, to return to fellowship between us and God. In other words, the tabernacle was always pointing further than itself. Uh, In fact, when God commands Moses to make it, he says, make it according to the pattern that I've shown you on the mountain. The the tabernacle is kind of an architectural model, not not a physical model, a kind of conceptual model of heavenly realities, of the connection between heaven and earth, between God and his people. It's a symbolic representation of God's plan to restore Eden, that is, human beings dwelling with God, walking with God in the cool of the day. Our great hope is not God living in a tent outside our front window, Nor is our great hope only that God will come and dwell in us through his Holy Spirit. Our great hope is that God would come and make his home with us on earth and meet with us and dwell with us and walk among us. We've caught a glimpse of that in Jesus as he came to live among us. But Jesus is coming back again to gather his people and to unite heaven and earth, to unite God 
with the world that he's made. To remake and restore the world as a place where God can dwell among his people on earth as in heaven. The great hope of the Bible is a restoration to Eden, a world free from sin and sadness and destruction and a world where God can dwell among us and we can walk with him. But finally, uh, the construction of the tabernacle tabernacle shows us one other thing and that is that at this time in Exodus, everything wasn't quite right either. It was a great gift of God to give them this representation of his presence among them. But there's still things that are not quite right. It's still dangerous to approach God. The priests have to wash or they'll die. The people have to offer sacrifices. The cloud of incense has to be kept hovering in front of the the, the most holy place. The cherubim are still guarding the way into the presence of God. God is still hidden behind a curtain. And the covenant on which this whole relationship is built is still going to have to be renewed year after year. The tabernacle shows us that the way to God is not yet open in those days. But the tabernacle does show that God was making a way and has made a way to live with his people again. God is making a way through forgiveness and cleansing from sin. The altar and the basin and the atonement cover on the ark all showed that God had in mind to make a way back to him. And of course, that way back to him is in Jesus, in his work on the cross, that we find the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate forgiveness, the ultimate establishment of a new relationship with God, the ultimate cleansing through the Holy Spirit who washes us and removes the sin that lives in us. But there's one last thing, I think, that we can pick up on before we finish, and that is the location of the lampstand that represents the tree of life. You might remember that when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, God placed the cherubim in front of the way into the Garden of Eden so that Adam and Eve and human beings couldn't get past and gain access to the tree of life, lest, God said, they eat it and live forever. The tree of life was behind the cherubim with God. But notice that in the construction of the tabernacle, the tree of life has moved out from behind the cherubim to in front of it. In the placement of the tree of life in the symbolism of the tabernacle, there's a hint from God that he means to unwind the destruction brought by sin. Sin kept us from life and kept us from God. But God shows in the tabernacle that he means to move life out to us again from behind the restrictive veil out where we can reach it. I don't think it's fanciful to see here a reference to the cross and to another tree, the death of Jesus, the death of death that came through Jesus hanging on a tree and that death of death that ultimately became uh, the tree of life for all those who believe in Jesus. You see, the tree of life that is the cross isn't hidden away behind the veil anymore. It isn't hidden away in the presence of God. But God came down to us in the person of Jesus. He brought the tree of life to us. 
so that whoever wants to can reach out and grab the fruit of that tree and eat it and live forever. God has come down to us in Jesus to bring us reconciliation and forgiveness. The way is open. It's no more hidden away behind the cherubim. God has come down and invited us to come and to take that fruit, to live, to live with him forever in his presence. The tabernacle was just a tent. It was a pretty special tent, but it was just a tent. But it was a tent laden with the grace of God, laden with the grace of God for sinners like you and me, pointing the way beyond itself to the good news of what God has done in Jesus and his death. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that even though the tabernacle is not a reality that we have lived under, uh, that, Lord, it still makes sense to us. It still points the way to the gospel of Jesus. It still helps us to grasp the realities of your grace in greater measure. Lord, thank you that we're not cut off from you, but that you've moved out to us and brought life to us. You haven't barred our way, but you've come down in Jesus so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You've come down, Lord, in Jesus, that you might dwell in us now through your Holy Spirit and ultimately too with us in person when Christ comes again to judge the living and the dead. Lord, help us to take hold of that reality and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it for his name's sake. Amen.